Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Martha. And our mission is to connect the past and the present Nikki Mom by celebrating our stories and what our babies have overcome. Whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas. Welcome back to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. It's your hosts, Martha and Ashley. So you were delayed there for a second, and I was like, is that because of my hearing, my ear? I was like, am I? <laughs> Martha has a very bad ear infection, everybody. It's mortifying. It's so embarrassing. So my dad did tell me. Well, my dad told me he was like, you could look into getting adult tubes. And I was like, <laughs> I thought you were going to say a hearing aid. No, tubes for my ear. It's very stupid. I think it's dumb. But I, for all of you out there with adult interustation issues, I'm here with you in solidarity. So, (laughs) Um, Ashley, how was your week then? Yeah, my week was wonderful um, or has been wonderful. We're in the middle of wedding season, so it's been kind of busy on the weekends. But other than that, I can't complain. It's been good. Yeah. And just for those who haven't heard, uh, Ashley isn't just like a serial married marrying person. She doesn't like get divorced every other week. She works in the wedding industry. So that's what that is. But yeah, I learned so much about wedding life from you. Um, well, friends, as you know, on the Dear Nikki Mama podcast, sometimes we have the opportunity to interview and listen to the journeys of Nikki moms from around the world, which is spectacular. And then sometimes we have the opportunity to uh, chat with experts in all sorts of different fields that support Nikki moms. And that is our gift today. Today we have <laughs> Natalie Ryder. Natalie, you're like, um, you are like uh, Steve Martin on SNL, you're going to be forever the person who is most frequently our guest. I think there are worse things in life, so I'll take it. Yes, it's for sure true. Um, Natalie uh, has a counseling practice, Prairie Land Counseling LLC, with their cute new logo. And um, uh, and she has a phenomenal practice. Definitely look her up. Um, and she's been on the podcast so many different times. I will say your last episode for folks who haven't heard it, which was all about um, sex and intimacy post-NICU. Oh my gosh. I think yeah. people, people's minds were blown by that episode. Yeah. So make yeah. sure you listen to that one. Welcome yes. back. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. That's awesome. So fun. And your practice is growing, Natalie. You've recently onboarded another mental health specialist. Do you want to share a little bit about what she does? Yeah. So um, Jessica is a certified grief specialist. Um, She's also a certified child life specialist. And so she has, you know, a lot of experience both with bereavement and navigating the hospital hospital life. So she's a pretty awesome resource. And I'm really, really excited that she's able to kind of be on the team. Yeah, absolutely. And we hope to connect with her sometime too for an episode. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm so just so grateful for practices like yours and people like you who are just constantly striving to make the most comprehensive services available for women. Um, I think our our area is very blessed to have you. Um, mm-hmm. So we're grateful. We could just have 45 minutes of talking about you. As we do. <laughs> Thank you. That means so much. Thank you. Well, it's true though. It's good stuff. And so when we thought about today's topic and for the past month or so, we've been talking about life after NICU and, 
And so we were really starting to think about what that means for our relationships, particularly with our parenting partners, our husbands, wives, uh, you know, girlfriends, boyfriends, spouses, um, that journey with us in and after the NICU. And and we immediately thought of you to talk about this. Well, let's hope I have something to say then. <laughs> we know that I you never will. doubt it. Yes. <laughs> so maybe to hop right in, let's just maybe, let's get it out in the open that two different people will process and uh, maybe walk through their trauma in very different and unique ways. And one of the beauties of being in a committed relationship or partnering relationship is that you get to see the strengths of each other and you get to see how each of you do in really joyful and happy experiences in life. And we also get to see how each of us walk through some of the more harder and traumatic moments of our life. And so what are maybe some different ways that people can process or compartmentalize trauma? Yeah. So I think, you know, it's pretty common to have people who are both like internal processors and then people who are external processors, you know, so the people who want to talk about it um, kind of all the time and just kind of over and over because that's the way that they are able to kind of get through the material. And then people who, you know, also need to take the time to just process it internally, um, kind of figure out where they're at on it um, before kind of coming back to the table and being like, this is where I, Um, This is kind of how I stand. This is where it's at. Um, And I think, you know, with trauma, there's definitely internal and external processors. um, But also, I think one of the aspects of trauma is that sometimes we think that we are not, there's no need to process our trauma, but sometimes then we have like ways that we might act out or even withdraw. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes even that internal and external Um, looks different in that way as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing that we've kind of seen in our support group a few times is um, we'll have a mom write in and say, you know, I think my my partner might be struggling because they're very withdrawn. Or, you know, we were at a medical appointment today and I and I really got to see maybe how my husband is is currently processing or or navigating their healing. And so it's really unique to get to see your partners up close and kind of where they store it and how they process it. And so and it seems like a lot of times the external processors and internal processors marry each other. <laughs> right? <laughs> Well, and I think, yeah, I mean, I, my guess is that you can probably point to a couple and be like, this is the person who like externally processes and this is the person who internally processes. Because I mean, at the same time, like if you have two external processors, <laughs> like that's a lot. And like, you know, <laughs> it's not possible because it's definitely out there. Um, mm-hmm. But in, or two internal processors, that again is probably a lot more common around here where people really like to be stoic. Right. Um, you know, um, and so she means I the Midwest. Also, I mean, the Midwest. I do mean the yes, Midwest. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we here in the Midwest do have kind of a, a cultural norm of we don't talk about this kind of stuff or like we just kind of say that it's fine and then kind of just move past it. And then it kind of really tends to grow until it bubbles over. Mm hmm. And that is definitely something that can happen with trauma and not just, you know, here in the Midwest, but also just, I think, even just listening to people who have experienced trauma that oftentimes they didn't realize that it was impacting them until many years later. Mm-hmm. And that is sometimes part of the the journey is that 
we don't, you know, realize the impact of things until much later. You know, Ashley, you and I were just talking about like the pandemic and like, what is, are we done processing it? What is it like? Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, you know, more than likely we're going to be feeling and processing and figuring out how this impacted us for a generation. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, talking about different ways that we process trauma, but like everybody has their own path. It doesn't have to look like on a certain timeline. Um, People go years sometimes without recognizing it's impacting them. And it's not until maybe some sort of external kind of trigger um, reminder cue comes along that all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, this, I thought this thing was done and buried and maybe it's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder then, I mean, where do we even begin to communicate if, if you're someone who processes very differently than your partner, right? Um, I think something we hear so frequently in the private group is that it's difficult to find common ground, right? Because mm-hmm. one mom really wants to verbalize it and talk about it and maybe look at the pictures and um, you know write a letter for Dear Nikki Mama, right? And uh, their partner doesn't want to do that. They don't want to engage in it. Um, it it is almost maybe sometimes kind of painful, right? Absolutely. They find there's it brings up strife in their relationship. So how would you begin communicating in a situation like that? So I think a really important question to ask right away is, um, what is the reason that you're choosing to behave the way that you are? Um, so if you are choosing to not talk about it, why is that? What's going on for you? You know, and if you're choosing to like talk about it or review it, like, why is that? What's going on for you? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we, we engage in behaviors because we get something from them. Even the behaviors that we maybe identify as, oh, I, I do that to like avoid something. But you do it because you're avoiding it and not experiencing it or whatever else. And so, you know, does talking about it and looking at the pictures give you relief? Is it a way to re-traumatize yourself? Is it a way of getting closure? Like, what exactly do you experience through whatever it is? And then like, you know, if you're avoiding this, why is that? What happens when you sit in it? What happens when you look at the pictures? What happens when you talk about it? So I think that is a really great question, you know, to just like when you want to bring the topic up and there maybe the response is, you know, I, I don't want to talk about this anymore. It's done. And just being like, okay, well, tell me more about how you knew it was done. Or you know, tell me more about why, what it's like to sit and, and hear me listen, hear me talk about this. What goes on for you? And then, you know, again, if asking the person, like, what do you get from talking about it? What is it? What is that experience like to hear me say, I don't want to talk about this or I'm, I'm done with this piece. And then, you know, trying to find that that middle of the ground piece. Like, I talk about it because it allows me to to heal and I to connect with myself along the, the journey. Um, and, the you know, your partner is like, nope, I just don't. I just in my mind, it's done. I don't need to revisit that. And so. Like, can you guys talk about it, but put a timer on it? Like, yep, I'm willing to sit down, you know, once a month with you and look at it for about 20 minutes. That, that's maybe where my my threshold is. Okay. Or, um, you know, I'm not willing to really talk about this, but like, you know, if we need to do, you need to do some counseling or go on a retreat or engage in some of these other things, that that's what's going to help you out, then that's the compromise maybe that we do in that way. And will it, you know heal every rupture? 
no, it won't, but it's a good start to finding that middle ground. And also mm-hmm. know that just because you come to a decision on like maybe how it's going to work for right now doesn't mean that that's a decision forever. Like it, mm-hmm. things can always be revisited. Yeah. Right. I think it's, I don't know. I It's always, it's interesting because for me, I've definitely felt dissonance with my partner because I held on to and still hold on to this feeling that I, uh, we have to do it the right way, right? And like that there is one right way to grieve, to process, to move on, whatever that means. Um, and I, I don't know if, if that ever comes up when you're thinking about it, but obviously there can't just be one right way, right? Because we're all as unique as our own fingerprints, right? Right. I think, again, if there was one right way, there'd be one book. Right. You know, like this is one of my favorite things when I talk about with parents is like, if there was one way to parent, there would be one book on parenting. Mm-hmm. You know, the, all of the questions would have been answered a long time ago. And we go to Barnes and Noble and there are many books on trauma and many books on parenting and many books on everything because everybody is so different. Mm-hmm. And so I think it is important to recognize when you're getting stuck in this, uh, like the right way of doing something because it's maybe not even the right way for you. And it may not be the right way for your partner as well. You know, it's interesting too, because sometimes it feels like you can connect with other people more intimately about your trauma than you do your spouse or your partner. So, you know, maybe I connect more intimately with Martha about it because we share this common motherhood story where I can was with- I wasn't going to be the one to say it, but... <laughs> But, you know, there's like that common solidarity of like, you get me, you understand me. And sometimes you can feel closer to other people in your life regarding certain traumas, but especially NICU trauma, than you do with your own partner. And sometimes that can feel almost like not wrong, but like, wow, shouldn't I feel closer to my partner about this? But sometimes you feel closer to other people. Is that normal or good? (laughs) Well, you know, I think... Part of, you know, even like thinking about like therapy, like, you know, part of the um, the great things about therapy is that you can come into a space that has a third person who has no knowledge of the that specific experience. Right. Um, and is able to maybe sometimes offer an unbiased view. Yeah. And, you know, you and your partner have a shared experience. Mm-hmm. And so the story is not how you tell it or how they tell it, but somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, And so you have competing narratives. Also, you know, when you think about, you know, talking about an experience like that with your partner, there more than likely are underlying feelings about how you feel about your partner. Mm. You know, if there have been feelings of like feeling unsupported, unheard, um, you know, misidentified, all these kinds of things, sometimes a situation like this can exacerbate it. And those aren't necessarily feelings or emotions that you might have with somebody else um, outside of that partnership. Um, And sometimes, you know, events like this cause those kind of ruptures to heal. Like I felt seen, Mm -hmm. I felt heard, I felt identified, Mm -hmm. I felt, you know, really supported. And so, you know, that's, it's just, there are so many different like layers at play, you know, with you and your partner that it's never just as simple as like we had this one event. We can talk about this one event 
because it's like, mm-hmm. well, we have this one event, but we also have the entire timeline of us prior to this. Right. And just to go back a little bit, um, you had mentioned, you know, maybe setting that timer and saying, okay, you know, once a month, let's revisit this. When is it beneficial to revisit that conversation with like a trained mental health therapist? And when is it okay or, you know, wise to just do that just as a couple? Or is it both? You know, <laughs> I think both definitely, because I think, you know, whoever, whatever kind of inter- intervention or compromise, um, is important for both people to hear. Um, and it's going to look different again for every partnership. But I think also um, maybe like a sign of like some sort of third party is if you just can't seem to find the ability to have the compromise. Sure. Or the compromise isn't sustained. Like you agree to this, you know, timer. Um, and yet one of you either like is never able to like hold the boundary either like you never show up for it you always reschedule it or you continuously go over it and always push for more mm-hmm. um you know and so if this this compromise doesn't seem to be working for you and there doesn't really seem to be a whole lot of other places to go with it or there aren't other things that you guys can think of to try then it might be helpful to get a third party involved who isn't involved in the situation sure yeah and I don't think we've talked about on this yet, but um, we definitely have in other episodes. the The idea that for the birthing parent, the experience was very different than the non birthing parent, yes. um, and uh, and how those would be traumatic in different ways. You know, um, for for the birthing parent, like the, there is um, a physical tra- like a trauma that's happening to and at your body, and then mm-hmm. for the non birthing parent, there's you have the kind of the separation of you have two different individuals you love your baby and your partner who are at risk. Um, And those are such different situations to grapple with. How would you even, you know, is there a way you can find common ground in those situations when maybe, maybe you're healing at different places, you know, you're kind of waxing and waning at different, different levels. And I feel that with my partner sometimes, right? Like, um, I'm having a good week for one reason and he's having a diff- good week for a different reason, but our triggers are different. Maybe that's a good way to put it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mine might be that I feel sa- uh, you know, I went for a run one time and I was like, yeah, that was a terrible idea, you know, cause my brain, you know, my brain was kind of snapping back to, to those feelings. And for him, it might be a, like a greater sense of injustice for our family, right? Like protecting us at all costs. Um, it's, they're just so different. The, the triggers are so different. Um, I guess, how do you begin to have common ground? You know, I think one of the ways that really have kind of common ground is to not necessarily focus in on these very tiny details um, and maybe like, you know, pulling away from the micro and out to the macro. Like mm-hmm. we experienced something that was hard for both of us. Mm-hmm. And that just becomes the common ground. Right. And, you know, you can kind of go a little bit deeper and then you can kind of pull away if you feel like the, you know, there's more ruptures happening or more kind of cracks forming and and go back to the kind of common ground and kind of, you know, go back in and out and in and out, like however you need to. But I think, you know, if you, if you start at this very, like these very tiny differences, um, 
then it's it's really hard to be like, well, you'll never understand me because I'm the birthing parent. Um, and, mm. you know, you'll never understand me because I am the observing parent. Um, and so we can't have any of the same experiences in this kind of experience. So what's the point? Mm. And, you know, and instead, if we come into like this, wow, we both went through something very differently and kind of acknowledge it. Um, but we both can identify that we we both went through something that was really hard for us. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't yeah. become about comparing one's pain and becomes more about really trying to be compassionate um, and, and really just open to hearing their experience because it's not yours. Mm-hmm. They can't know what it was like for you implicitly they, they they can never be inside your head they won't have the same triggers they can be in the room with you but their experience was still very different mm, yeah you know i re- mm. i remember um this one story kind of trigger warning it talks about bleeding um but about you know this this dad was in the room watching um the birth of their child and the mom just started bleeding mm. excessively and he saw the doctor's faces, he saw the nurses run, he saw all those kinds of things. Whereas, um, you know, the mom, she pushed, she laid back, she had the baby on her chest. That's what she saw. Mm-hmm. And so there were two very, very different experiences, even though yeah. they both went through something tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and you know the the wife will never know what it's like hopefully to see someone that you love you know go through like just bleeding out you know and seeing the medical professionals respond to that um and so there is i think again when we play the comparison game everybody loses yeah that's so interesting i had never i definitely feel like you hear a lot, especially in, in our community, about not comparing your situation to another mom's, right? But I had never really thought about it in terms of not comparing your trauma to your partner's trauma, even though the mm-hmm. event was the same. Like that mm-hmm. that's kind of mind blowing. I don't know, do you feel the same way, Ashley? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And I like how you, you know, you kind of just blanketed blanketed it there and said, you will never understand what it was like to be in their head and they will never understand exactly what it was like to be in yours. But when we compare, we lose, you know, and I feel like it kind of comes back to that offering each other compassion again of like, you're right. I won't know what that was like for you. And you might not know what it was like for me, but when we can offer each other compassion that, wow, it was, it was really hard for the both of us. Like that changes everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Easy. And then it becomes less about forcing the other person to completely understand. Right. Right. Yeah, I can see I can see how that could be such a powerful thing for a lot of our moms in our community. I mean, it's powerful for me to hear too. Yeah. I remember too in a in an episode that we did with you, well, actually the one about intimacy after NICU with our partners, um, you talked about kind of having a neutral location to talk about things. And you you mentioned like in the car, like on a car ride where you're next to each other, you're talking, but you're not maybe sitting across from each other for coffee, you know, looking into each other's eyes. So 
you know, maybe where, what are some gentle practices that you and your partner can do to start having these conversations in maybe a way that's neutral and not so like, so tell me everything, <laughs> look me in the eyes, you know, are there some neutral ways to kind of start those conversations together? Yeah. You know, I think first off identifying, you know, is this person, is my partner like somebody who needs to hear the information and then chew on it and then come back to it? Um, sure. Or is going to want to talk about it kind of over and over until we kind of get down to it. Because if you sit down with somebody who is an internal processor and you talk about this really hard thing and the response is silence, because in those moments, they don't have anything to offer because they haven't processed it. It's a real quick way to shut yourself down. And then, you know, there's just like, you don't listen, you're not responding, you're not meeting my needs. Um, and so recognizing that, you know, maybe their non-response in the moment just means that you guys need to agree to kind of circle back when they've had more time. Um, sometimes like a really helpful uh, kind of technique is letter writing. Um, you know, like this is what I'm experiencing or this is a question or, you know, this is something that I want to kind of bring up or talk about, um, you know, and even just kind of like a, this is something like when we talk tonight, this is something that I want to talk about. Um, these are some of the thoughts I'm having on it. I want to give you time to think about it as well. Mm -hmm. So we can kind of come together and talk about it, you know, because Again, it also, even through like kind of some of that letter writing, especially if you're an external processor, you can weed out some of the extraneous things to get to the point that Mm -hmm. you're trying to make. Right. Because it's really easy to just, you know, get lost in all the words um, that you need to help you figure out what exactly the words are that you're trying to communicate. Mm -hmm. I'm sure this is going to be shocking, but I am an external processor. (laughs) Uh, You know, but I, like, even with my own partner, like, I will talk about something and talk about something and talk about something. And he just like looks at me and I'm like, well, this is actually what I meant. And he's like, well, why didn't you just say that at the beginning? I'm like, cause I didn't know that's what I meant. <laughs> right. Yes. He's just like, okay, you know, you're right. a counselor for a living. You would think you'd, you know, you deal with words every day. I'm like, I'm not a counselor with you. So, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But oh. a lot of people, you know, it, and if you find that your partner doesn't want to visit, those conversations, even doing something like, like journaling, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in like trauma focused CBT, you know, one of the techniques that they do is like writing your narrative um, and, you know, visiting that and doing some of those kinds of things. And so, um, you know, just journaling on topics or things that come up and some prompts and, and just being like, Hey, this is what I think. And then maybe again, being able to bring those things to a conversation. Um, The other person may not feel if they're able to verbalize feeling like overwhelmed or unsure how to respond. Also, I think a big piece or a big thing that comes up um, is that when we talk about something, um, oftentimes our partner feels a need to solve it. Mm. And so a really great conversation to have is, you know, before we have a conversation, I'm going to tell you if I need support or a solution. Um, and so that your partner knows, like, if you're going to talk about your experience, be like, I don't need a solution to this. I'm not expecting you to solve it. I just need some support. I just need you to hear, I hear that this is hard for you. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that can take a lot of pressure off 
Like, you know, my partner is suffering. They are in pain. I can't figure out a solution. Of course, I don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. When the solution actually is just listening. Mm -hmm. Just being with them in the moment. Yeah. It's such a, I just feel like it's such a skill that you don't think about when you're at the beginning of your marriage, right? Because um, you jive in so many wonderful ways. Um, and I feel like a good chunk of the the couples that we get have the privilege of getting to meet, right, um, are like are in an earlier stage of their marriage, right? And even mm-hmm. if it's in, you know, the first 10 years or whatever. Um, so when we've had the opportunity to meet with um, older couples who this happened to a long, long, long time ago, it's interesting to see how they've come to terms with it. And mm-hmm. we've had two on episodes and they both sit, you know, they, we, we watch them talk with their partners in both of these cases. And um, they've obviously over the years found different ways where they hold space for each other. And ultimately, whether you go through this Nikki trauma or not, it's just such an important skill. And I just like watch these couples. I don't know if you remember them, Ashley, like Mm -hmm. Debbie and her husband, for sure. Debbie is our adoptive mother Um, (laughs) and and your grandma. But it was really cool to watch them with their partners. Like it's, Mm -hmm. I think it's really hard when you're in the now of it um, to imagine what it'll be like in decades. Yeah. There was a study, don't ask me which one it was, um, because I can't name it off the top of my head, um, but where they looked at, um, where they talked to people who had been married for a significant number of years. I think I want to say like 40, maybe plus. um, And they were like, what are like the keys or the, you know, the, how have you stayed married so long? Like you must never have fought or, or anything like that. And, you know, the consistent theme that came out was that, you know, they had encompassed or encountered, not encompassed, encountered many hard things in their marriage together. Many hard things at points that, you know, or events that would have and have um, ended other marriages and relationships. Um, But there was a, a, a very explicit discussion had of, we recognize that this is tough. We recognize that this is a point where we could and things, um, but we were both making a very conscious decision to move forward, and this is how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I think it's it's really easy to see people in in air quoting here, since you can't see me, happy marriages, um, who maybe that's like this outside picture, or we think that you know people who are in successful marriages or um, long lasting marriages are because they just don't have hard things happen in their lives. And it really comes down more to communication. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's probably the most important skill is is how do you communicate with your partner? Mm-hmm. And so in a situation where you're, you've both experienced trauma, um, and communication, again, becomes this very, very key piece. And it is entirely possible um, for one person to, to have a shared experience and one person is a trauma traumatized and the other person isn't right. Mm-hmm. You know, again, talking about comparing experiences, like it is very, very real that the other person may not be as impacted as the other person. Mm-hmm. And there's a number of factors that go into like that kind of thing. And please don't ask me to 
say what they are because I can't think of them off the top of my head. But <laughs> all yeah. of the factors, every all the factors. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, you can't force somebody to want to take care of their trauma and to heal and to inner reflect and do that deep inner work. Mm-hmm. So, what do you do when? they aren't willing to address it and they aren't willing to get help. I mean, where does that leave you? I mean, what, what's the solution? Is there one? Yeah. So there's a couple different things that kind of come up here. You know, I think one of the big assumptions that we have is that everybody can do the same work that we can do. Mm. Like I have insight. I have the ability to reflect Um, I have the ability to use an objective point of view when it comes to this experience. So you must be able to as well. Mm -hmm. And so if we have the toolbox to go and attack this with this thing, you know, we assume that it's, that it's not that people, that people won't do it, or we assume that people won't do it versus that they maybe can't do it. Mm. And again, um, the kid doesn't mean it has to say can't forever, but, you know, especially when we talk about treating trauma, um, you know, in a kind of like the therapeutic landscape, sometimes, you know, the way that we talk about it is that, you know, trauma is something that you take little bites out of and then, mm-hmm. you know, you get you tackle something and you get to a place and then it's fine for a little bit. And then you have to tackle something again. You know, sometimes it's not something that you sit down and you eat the whole thing in one sitting. Mm-hmm. And so, again, really asking yourself, you know, is this person, am I putting a a won't on, like, you won't do this on somebody who maybe can't, Mm -hmm. you know, like, let's say somebody's partner is just really unwilling to kind of go into that trauma field. And again, this is an assumption piece, but just like a perspective. Um, And part of the reason that they won't. Um, again, air quoting won't is because they can't because they don't maybe subconsciously they're like, I need to hold the space for my partner to be able to explore, explore this fully. Mm-hmm. There's not room here for both of us to do this. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that is, that is a theme. Sometimes it's that, you know, they just don't even know where to begin in terms of unpacking this. Um, they have been modeled. They don't have the tools. They're not sure about it. Um, you know, again, they don't think that it is impacting them to the level that it's maybe impacting somebody else. It can be so many of these different things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're seeing things that whether or not it's trauma related, but it's really impacting you as, as a couple, then use explicit examples and don't even label it. You know, you can just be like, um, you know, I'm, I'm concerned. Um, I saw that you we're getting more irritable with, you know, the mailman, you know, you know, are, are things, what's going on? You know, are things stressful at work? Are they stressful? Whatever, you know, and, and if you're able to kind of maybe bring up like, I, you know, we don't seem to be having as much fun together, um, you know, and also not like pointing out things like to criticize or blame, because that's not the goal. You know, mm-hmm. the goal is not to criticize. It really is to just use kind of like the I feel statements. You know, I feel unheard when I'm not able to talk about the experiences that impact me. You know, I feel frustrated when 
I struggle to find an outlet, you know, to, to really process what I've been through. Mm-hmm. And so really getting away from those, you won't, you can't, you don't, because all that happens is it make, they make people defensive. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you can talk about the things that you like miss or some of the changes, like, you know, I miss us, you know, being able to laugh about, you know, YouTube videos. What do you think's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, and so, and it and it's tough, especially, you know, when we're coming from our own place of rawness to, to be able to try to, again, be compassionate or, or have patience or understanding um, when our partners don't seem to be meeting us where we want them, you know, to be met. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, again, when it comes to needs, we need to be explicit and we need to not assume that they can read our minds. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I need, what I need from you right now, again, is support. I need, you know, just somebody to listen. Are you capable of doing that? And give them the option to say no. No, like, no, I'm, I'm not in that space. Okay. I'll find somebody else who has that, uh, that ability to give me that. I mean, the theme here is that just ex- you have to be so <clears throat> exp- explicit in your communication. I mean, basically, I feel like it's like the kindergarten thing. You know what I mean? I feel this because of this, right? That you really have to get to a baseline communication point because I th- so much is goes assumed. I think that's what I'm gathering from what you're saying. I, I I can see so many things that I've done myself and, and in other places too, where you assume how the other person is feeling or what they're saying or that they'll understand what you're saying um, or your subtext of what you're saying. So yeah, I mean, I can definitely see how that could be such a useful tool. The truth is, is that you are responsible for how you respond in those moments all the time. Like, you know, like you can have an emotion um, but how you react to that emotion is up to you. Everybody gets mad. Not everybody punches holes in walls. Right. You know, we all experience the, this universal emotion, but we all react to it differently. Mm-hmm. And so even just like, I'm feeling really uncomfortable. So what am I going to choose to do with feeling uncomfortable? Do I shift the responsibility onto somebody else to make them feel responsible for my uncomfortableness? Or do I have to do something for myself to fix it for internally? Mm-hmm. I think a theme that I'm, again, I just feel like there's so many parallels to our intimacy episode, just because intimacy is so yeah. much about connection. Um, yeah. But what I'm just hearing you say over and over again in my head is just that good communication leads to good connection. And, mm-hmm. you know, learning how really almost like going back to when you're dating and rediscovering like how you each, how your, each of your brains work, <laughs> you know, cause you're essentially mm-hmm. seeing them work in this new way. You've never maybe gone through this specific trauma before. And now you're seeing, oh, wow, this is how they respond versus how I respond. It's like you're starting over in a new way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so really understanding and learning how each other communicate to then better connect with each other. Cause really that's the goal, right? Like we want to stay together if we can. And we want to do that hard work of 
of re-getting to know each other so that we can talk about it in 40 years and say, and have that, you know, kind of glisten in our eyes of this is how we did it, you know, but that's yeah. not possible unless we learn how to communicate with each other. And so just yeah. really good reminders. Yeah. Cause again, I think there's this assumption that, you know, just because we know one thing about this person that it's going to stay the same for their li- the rest of their life. Right. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm a whole hell of a lot different than I was at 26. I um, know I'm going to be a whole lot different than when, I, when I'm 46. And, right. you know, if, if Scott treated me the way that I was when I was 26, who are we? That would not be, that would be uh, not great. Um, you know, and so I think it's really important to remember that relationships are living things. Yeah. They have to be tended to. Yeah. And if you, I was just using this analogy the other day, um, you know, that they're kind of like plants. If, you know, you can't just water it once and be like, it's good. Mm -hmm. You know, like I gave it some water one time. What more could it possibly want? Mm -hmm. Like it's something that needs constant attention and care and nurturing. Mm -hmm. And so especially during some of these harder times, um, really asking yourself, how am I caring for this living thing? How am I caring for this relationship? Mm-hmm. What does it need? And if I can't give it to it, but it still needs this thing, how do I make sure it's getting it from somewhere else? Like if I'm not in the place to listen to my partner talk about their experience and that's what they need to heal, how do we make mm-hmm. sure that that person still gets it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, going back to the plant analogy, we buy fertilizer, we buy, you know, grow lamps, we know we buy all these kinds of things, bigger pots, things like that. We don't just assume that it intrinsically is going to produce what it needs. A lot of times it needs outside things to help it. You Mm -hmm. know, relationships are no different. What about the relationships that were unhealthy prior to this traumatic event and now are also trying to sift through these new behaviors or patterns? Something that can be helpful in kind of discerning that out is, is this pattern of behavior present before the event? Mm-hmm. You know, so were you feeling unheard, su- unsupported, belittled, demeaned, criticized, um, made fun of, um, isolated before some of these things happened? You know, this kind of traumatic event happened um you know is this a a pattern of behavior that is present in the relationship kind of for most of its entirety or is this something that has happened really just in response to kind of this event sure if they have questions about their relationship um talking to like a counselor or a psychologist or a marriage and family therapist or social worker is probably going to be the most helpful Mm -hmm. Um, in the sense that your family is biased, your friends are biased, even some stranger on the street is going to be biased mm-hmm. um, because of their own experiences. Whereas, you know, somebody in the mental health field is trained to provide that non-biased viewpoint and kind of probe it a little bit. And then, you know, also bring up some psycho ed around the fact of like, you know, the things that you're describing are characteristics of an abusive relationship or like, you know, talking about the characteristics mm-hmm. and be like, Hey, you know, this is, I want us just to look at a few different things 
you know, or, oh, so you said that this has been going on since before this event. Right. Okay, let's talk about how this impacts things. Right. Yeah. Mm, that's good. Well, Natalie, as always, it's such a treat to have you on the podcast. And like Martha said, we really are blessed in our community to be able to have providers like you who have devoted their work to women's maternal and mental health. And um, it's just, it's really just an honor to get to do these with you. So thank you as always for your precious time. Um, They are definitely some of our most listened to episodes. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so, so grateful. And to the mamas listening that um, tuned in today, maybe the title caught you. You saw the title and it was healing at different paces and you're in a place with your partner right now where it feels like you're just passing ships, if you will. (laughs) We just want to first acknowledge that what you guys went through was very significant and, um, you know, it takes time to re-get to know each other. And so just know that um, we see you where you are and you are loved as you are. Thank you as always for tuning in with us and being in this space with us. We're so grateful for the work that we get to do and that we get to connect with amazing moms like you. So have a wonderful rest of your week and we will catch you guys next week. If you love this podcast and would like to hear more amazing stories, please consider becoming a member of the Dear NICU Mama Patreon page. In addition to special merchandise and early access to content, Patreon members support the mission, programs, and services of Dear NICU Mama. You can find the link on the description of this episode. As always, if you'd like to hear more from Dear NICU Mama, click subscribe. Welcome to the sisterhood.